open the eyes of our hearts to see you God in a new way even this morning we love that you are God who's always present in our lives whose love has like absolutely no restraint and we're so grateful for that that in this moment in your presence we can praise you we can sing right to you God so we ask that you would just show up this morning in a new way that we would keep our expectations high because we know you can do something miraculous God and we love you so much in your son's name that we pray amen you may be seated So, you're really him, aren't you? You want more proof? I haven't done the pillow of salt thing in a while. That's all right. I believe you. I just, I don't understand why you chose me. You want to change the world, son. So do I. What? Why an ark? I mean, that's like flood territory. You wouldn't do that again. You wouldn't do that. Would you do that? Let's just say that whatever I do... I do because I love you. Well, then you have to understand that this whole building and art thing is really not part of my plans here. I need to settle into my house. I need to make a good impression at work. (laughs) What? Your plans. (laughs) What are you talking? We're talking about an ark, right? I mean, an ark? An ark is huge. I don't even know where I would begin. Well, I hear that a lot. People want to change the world, don't know how to begin. You want to know how to change the world, son? One act of random kindness at a time. Build the ark. I'll tell you what. You build it, I'll fill it. And if anybody asks, tell them... Flood's coming. Oh, and uh, you might need this. Okay. Okay, so what do I do? I grab the wood. Oh, okay. You know, that's (laughs) just cruel. (laughs) Do you see him? I don't see him. Wouldn't it be really nice sometimes if, if we could just like communicate with God that way? If that was just so easy, okay, to hear from God. It was just that simple. But last week um, in our series, Hearing God's Voice, we started the first part of a sermon, okay, and that sermon basically was just sit back and listen. Just sit back and listen. And we were talking about um, the book of Habakkuk and how we can use the book of Habakkuk and go through a a, a series of steps or a process, a six part process to hear God's voice. We want to hear God's voice. A couple of weeks ago, we did a two part sermon. We did the first part and we did the second part and we made that little, that little bookmark up that we gave you and you're able to put in your Bible. If you want one, if you weren't here last week and you listened to the, the, uh, the sermons online or whatever and you'd like to bookmark, just let me know. We're going to get more bookmarks made and we'll have them here next week. If they're not here already, I don't think there's any more out here. We'll get some for you because it just lays out seven steps. Okay. How do we know if God is speaking to us? And this kind of laid out seven 
steps to know if God is speaking to you. So then last week we started again and we talked about, okay, what is a six point process to help us to understand and hear God's voice? And we're looking at the book of Habakkuk. We said that the first three, okay, were to have a passion to do God's will. So first, we have to have a passion to do God's will. And then we said we need to retreat, okay, to a quiet place. That was two. And then number three was to calm your mind and your heart. To calm your mind and your heart. If you remember last week, we just started playing music at the end. That piano music and we quietly read Psalm 23, 24 and 25. We prayed, we allowed God to speak to us. And I've got such good feedback from that. And a lot of you were asking about the music and how do we get it. Just call the church office. We'll make sure that we we get you that uh, information on how to get that music. Because it's a great way. We have to learn to spend the time necessary to hear God's voice. Well, this morning what I want to do is look at the last three in that process. What I'm trying to, to learn, what we're trying to learn through all of this is how do we, how do we in our prayer life have a, a dialogue and not just a monologue? How do we turn our prayer life from a monologue into a dialogue? So we're going to look at the last three. We looked at the first three now this morning. We're going to look at the last three. With that as our goal of turning our prayer life from a monologue into a dialogue, number four in this process, number four, is picture it in your mind. You need to picture it in your mind. Habakkuk, we're going through the book of Habakkuk here. We're using, it's three chapters, we're using the book of Habakkuk to kind of lay this all out. And in chapter one of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's asking questions. God, why? Why is this happening? Why is Israel behaving this way? Why are you allowing this to happen? And God gives him a little bit of an answer. And he didn't like the answer. He asked him even more questions. Why would you use them? How could you use the Babylonians? And he goes through all of these things. So in chapter 1, he's doing all the talking. And in chapter 2, he begins to listen. So we, when we're talking about hearing from God, one of the ways that we can hear from God is we need to picture it in our minds. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1 says this. Listen to the words. I will look to see what he will say to me. I will look to see what he will say to me. Why look what he will say? Notice he doesn't say, I will listen to what God will say to me. He says, I will look to see what God will say to me. God, the artist, wants to paint pictures in our minds. God is an artist. God speaks to us visually. God is able to speak to us visually. We can picture things in our minds. Has that ever happened to you? Where God has spoken to you and given you a vision in your mind? Something in your mind where you're praying and then God says, okay, his answer, but his answer isn't a still quiet voice. His answer is visual. He puts something in your mind. He puts it there. I remember as I was going through this, I thought to myself, what are some examples of that in my own life? Now, for me... I'm a very visual person. And so when God speaks to me, he does speak to me in pictures an awful lot. And two of the examples that really stuck out to me were this facility, this whole six to two blocks here in downtown Mason. When we first went to when we first were going to buy this property, we walked around and we looked at it. And this this whole building was just one open space. And it was, you know, it was ratty. It was, you know, it was a manufacturing plant. That building was 10 times worse. 
It's about 80 years old. There was oil on the floor. It was smelled like oil inside. It was just, I mean, it was unbelievable. The, the, the whole property was surrounded by a, a, an ugly green fence. This building was turquoise blue. Bam! Your retinas were burning as you drove by. So you got this green fence, this, this turquoise building. This, the, the, there were dumpsters in front of the Grace Impact Center that were so big, they were those compactor dumpsters. You know, they weren't just regular big dumpsters. They compacted the garbage, and there were two or three of them sitting outside. It was stark. You walked inside, and people would say, when we first started looking at this, why would you want to buy that property? But honestly... Honestly, when I walked on the property, I saw something totally different. They're praying about, God, where can we, where can we meet? What, where, what do you want to give to us? When I walked in this building, I saw so much of what is here today, and so did other people. When I walked into, and when I walked into the Grace Impact Center, people were like, we, we literally were talking about, should we just tear this down? In my mind, I was, mm, I never want to tear it down. Because I walked in to this open space and I saw, man, look at the size of that. We could put a basketball court there. And wow, look at the size of that. We could put a soccer field in there. And Look at this and look at that. And I was, I was a youth pastor for 15 years before we started Grace Chapel. And so to me, I was seeing these giant open spaces. Other people were seeing like trash. And I was looking at saying, oh my gosh, what, what could we do with this? Because God puts pictures in your mind of what we are, what, what could possibly be. There's a section in the back of the Grace Impact Center that's larger than the soccer field. And in some places it's four stories tall. And I picture in my mind, I can close my eyes and picture walking down hallways in a, in a building that is, is a school of the arts. Where people are coming in and learning all the different arts, music and, and drama and, and drawing and you name it, all the different arts that you can imagine that people would come in and throughout the week use that like they use the soccer field and use the basketball court. They would use it as a school of the arts. Okay, now remember I said that unless God changes, you know, unless God, cha- not God changes, unless God just, you know, gives us a, a broader vision and says, here's what I want you to do or That will at some point happen. That will happen. God puts thoughts, puts vision, puts pictures in your mind. That's what he does. He lays it out. When we were, when we first started going to Mexico and we had a, and we actually had our staff like Todd and Beth moved to Mexico, to Monterey. We brought 50 students down there and we moved into, we actually stayed in their house. Okay. This was just a regular Mexican house. We destroyed their regular Mexican house with 50 high school students. And so we started talking about, boy, we need something else. We would, wouldn't it be great if we had a facility that could house, you know, hundreds of people at a time? So, you know, we, cause we, we, we can't bring this many people down. And so we started talking to Rene Gonzalez, who was a pastor of the church that we connected with down there. And he said, you know, we were over at his house for dinner and I said to him, I said, hey, do you know of any land that's available that we could blah, blah, blah? He said, and it was a bunch of us there. We were all there for dinner. And he said, come with me. And so we walked out down his road. If you've ever been to LDM in, in Monterey, we walked down the road, okay, that leads up to the main entrance. And, he, and uh, there was no really gate there or anything because there was nothing, you know, it was just like an open field and an old thread factory. We walked on there and he said, this, we could probably get this for a good price. I know the person, we could talk to them. And I kid you not, we were all standing there. And for me, I'm just, I can just speak for myself. I could literally, God had put in my head, I could visualize 
people sitting down on grass and doing Bible studies and having quiet time and walking around just praying. And I could see, I, I, I see it when I close my eyes, I see it right now as vivid as I did back then. But now it's a reality. People are walking around the property and, and sitting on the grass and doing Bible studies and all those kinds of things. God puts, and you know what's interesting about a vision or God painting a picture in your mind? People love to think, well, God only, it's only, you know, God only gave that to me. God only did that through me. Okay. Here's, a, here's Jeff Greer's thought on this. If he only gives it to you, I'm not sure if that really is coming from the Holy Spirit. You really want to know from the Holy Spirit if he gives it to multiple people at the same time. I always, to me, that God is really speaking when multiple people are seeing something at the same time. They envision it at the same time. God is moving. Now, I'm not saying he never speaks to just one person. Of course he does. We know that in the Bible. We see that. Okay. But in general, when multiple people can see it, it's just amazing. The Holy Spirit speaking to multiple people, not just in one group, but it could be a person in the United States and then someone else gets that same vision in another country. And you find each other and you know that's the Holy Spirit moving. God works visually. God can do things visually in our lives. God loves to use images right, and pictures throughout the Bible. He does it. He did it all the time. He still he, he still does it today. God has given us the ability to imagine, to have an imagination. If you're an artist, right, before you put something on the page, before you draw something, paint something, if, if you're right, God, you, God usually puts it in your mind. You see it in your mind and then it comes out through your art. God uses the visual we have the ability, my friends, to turn our dreams because of the way we're created into reality. About 60 to 65 percent of you are visual thinkers, naturally visual thinkers. OK, it's just that's that's what you're comfortable doing. You are a natural visual thinker. Someone will read you a story or you'll start reading a story yourself and without even closing your eyes, you can picture that story in your mind because that's the way you're created. That's the way you're designed. You can see it so easily. So. So when God shows you something, sometimes it's visual. I can look, he says, Habakkuk says, I will look and see. But the question is, how do you do that if you're not naturally a visual thinker? How do you pull? How does that happen if you're not naturally that way? Well, it's okay. You can just ask God. You can just ask him. You take the time and you say, God, reveal this to me. God, show me. The Bible says over and over again, ask and you shall. Right. Ask and you shall. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. James is saying that we need to ask God very specifically to help us to see it. So if you don't naturally visualize things, then ask God to show you. It's one of the ways that God speaks to you. Visually, so it's okay for you to say, God, show me, ask and you shall. That's what the Bible says. And here's the thing. When you ask him specifically, God, show me, I need to hear from you. So show me 
what you want me to understand. Show me. Speak to me, Lord, but show me as well. When you do that, you need to, because he says, and believe and not doubt. He says, ask specifically and then believe and not doubt. Why? Because when we ask, we need to ask with anticipation. We need to ask. Jen said it earlier. We need to ask with anticipation. We need to believe that God is going to do what we're asking Him to do. The problem is, we ask God sometimes, but we don't believe He's going to respond. We have to come with an anticipation that God is going to fulfill what we're asking Him to do. We need to trust that He's going to do that. And again, you say, well, how do I know if the picture in my mind is from God or it's just, you know, something I put in my own mind? Well, again, I'm going to go back to this. You, 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 you take it to, and you take it to the word of God. Does the word of God reflect what you're seeing in your mind? That's the most important thing. We need to verify. We always need to verify whatever we see or whatever we hear, whatever we're hearing in our minds or seeing in our minds, it should be verified through the word of God, through the Bible. Then you'll know. So you verify it through the word of God. In Psalm 119.18, it says this, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The word of God will reveal to you what God is putting in your mind and in your heart. So we need to we need to go back here just for a second. It's not just listening and hearing from God. God will visually give you things. Some of you, again, more than others. But God will visually show you things. And when he shows you those things, or when you hear those things, you take them back to the word of God. Is it reflected in the word of God? Does the word of God verify what I believe I'm hearing and seeing from God? That's number four. Number five, okay? Record what you hear and what you see. Record what God is teaching you. Record. This is so important that God constantly is telling us to remember, to remember, to remember. So we need to record what God is teaching us. Habakkuk chapter two and verse two says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. That's really what Habakkuk did in the book of Habakkuk, right? He expressed his feelings. He, he, he basically expressed his feelings, what he was saying to God and what, was, what God was saying to him. And he wrote those down. He wrote them down. He wrote down what he was feeling, what he was saying to God, and then what God was saying to him. So I want you, one of the things that you can do is you write those things down, what God is teaching you. Now, I'm going to be dead honest here. I am not claiming that I journal every single day. All right. I'm not a, I'm not a big journaler. And I, as I was going through this, I thought to myself, I got to make sure that people understand that I don't, I don't journal every day and all that kind of thing. But then I thought, wait, a, I thought to myself, wait a second. In a, in a, in a way I do every week journal. Okay. And it's through the sermon. What God is teaching me, I, I will write down, I will write down what God is saying to me. What the Holy Spirit is speaking, what he's saying in my heart, the things that I've learned. So in a way, I am journaling every single week. Everything I try to learn from God is reflected in my, in my sermon, my feelings, my passions, my stories. Things that I've, all the things that, all the things that I've learned that God is teaching me, my strengths and my weaknesses, my failures, 
All those things, all the things that God says to me and what I say to God, I do journal in sermons. I mean, you guys know that. I, I, you know, I told a story up front. I want to, you know, even this morning. You, 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 I journal that in my heart. I, I, I express it in my words and also I write it down. I take the time to write it down. And I, I think about that. I think, you know, I am so glad. I am so excited in my heart. I'm so, uh, that, that those in the past, that people in the past would write down what they're feeling and what God did in their lives. If, if that didn't happen, you wouldn't have the Psalms. Okay, the Psalms are an expression. You go read the Psalms. It's basically crying out to God. God, why is this happening? God, show me. God, speak to me. It's crying out. The book of Habakkuk, the same thing. In chapter one, he's saying, what is going on here? How can you let this continue to happen? In chapter one, he does all the talking pretty much. In chapter two, closes his mouth and he listens to God. He's listening to God. But he's laying that all of that out. We wouldn't have the book of Habakkuk. We wouldn't have. Actually, that's just two books. Think of Think about the New Testament. People pouring out their lives. God working through God speaking through people's lives. David, for example, David told us about things that were going on in his life, his successes and his failures. When David messed up with Bathsheba, Right. Bathsheba, she's, she's on a rooftop and he gets on the rooftop and he sees her and she's so beautiful and he goes over and then he commits adultery and ends up Uriah the Hittite and all those things that are going on. You know the story. Most of you know the story about Bathsheba and what David did. David expressed that incredibly well when he realized what he did. When Nathan the prophet comes to him and reveals to him what he's truly done, David's repentance in Psalm 51 is a... If we didn't have Psalm 51, we wouldn't really, in a lot of ways, know truly how to express it the same way. Psalm 51 helped me to express what it means when I fall short of God and not just going, well, sorry, God, I didn't mean to do that. No, listen to Psalm 51. I'm going to read verses one through seven. Okay, it's longer and you should read the entire thing today. But listen to Psalm 51 verses one through seven. After he after Nathan, the prophet confronts him. This is basically David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash away my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sins are always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be proved right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Uh, hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And then he goes on. But listen to him pouring it out, writing it. He writes it down for us, for all of us in 2016 to read and say, gosh, that's what it looks like to repent, to have that kind of brokenness. And to have God forgive you, we need to be expressing, we need to express what's in our hearts. We need to write down the experience that God teaches us. When we learn something from God, we need to pass it on. And sometimes the best way to do it is to write it down. See, when you write out your feelings, it reminds you that, that God is, is with you. And, and it reminds you how far God has brought you in your spiritual journey. It reminds you of those things. It also reminds you that God can deliver you when you make mistakes. 
It teaches us so much when we, when we journal those things. It builds our faith as we see God answer our prayers. It reminds you that God is speaking to you. So, so many people will say, see, I don't really hear God speaking to me. I don't really think God speaks to me. And you've been a Christian for a long time. And, you, you know, you read your Bible and you know God speaks through the word. But, you know, and, and you're saying that. But here's the reality. You're saying, well, I'm not sure God speaks to me. But when you can reflect back on where you were in your life 10 years ago and where you are now, you can see that God has been speaking to you. You can see how God has been moving in your life, how God has been changing you and transforming you, how the Holy Spirit has been constantly coming to you. And sometimes you don't recognize it. You're just not recognizing it. But you have to ask yourself, if this is the person I was 10 years ago and here's who I am 10 years later, that is God working through me. That is God speaking to me. That is God transforming me. It's just learning how to listen sometimes. But in writing that down and, and just looking at your own life and remembering where you were and where you were and where you are now, it allows you to understand that God is speaking to me and speaking to me in a profound way. And it also helps you record it for future generations. This is so important. I mean, in the Bible, this is so important. You have so much knowledge. You have so much to offer. You have so much to give. But so many times we don't, we don't even, we don't write things down. We don't recall those things. So we don't pass them on to the next generation. In Psalm 102 and verse 18, it says this. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. Each one of us has so much knowledge. Each one of us has so many experiences. And that's what we do with our own children, right? We want to pass on information to our children. We've had experience in the past. That's why we tell them, hey, don't, no, don't do, don't go to that party or whatever. Don't, or don't, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And here's why. And you kind of, and you know, some guy drives up on a motorcycle. His name is Snake, right? And he, you know, he's got like a skull thing on his, you know, helmet on and everything. And he's going to date your daughter. And you're like, uh, uh, now nothing wrong with, you know, you know Snake's a person, so you love him. But you know, you, you dated Snake's father way back when right he was the exact same kind of person he never really changed so you want to tell your daughter listen don't date him right i have experience do not date him you want to pass that experience on we that's what god is asking us to do to constantly pass on what we've learned to express that to others and pass on what we've learned i've written a couple of books and here's why i've written those books I am a visual, I I visualize things and then I verbalize those things. God puts something in my head and then I, and I breathe it out. Okay. I verbalize those things. That's my natural way of expressing and sharing with people what God is doing in my life. But being surrounded with the people I've been surrounded with for, for the last 25 years, they've helped me to realize, you know what? It's great. You have it in your head, but you've probably forgotten so much that you should be sharing. And so I've, I've been encouraged by others to write it down. And so with, for example, the business tree book that we, that we read, Chuck Prof and I wrote a business tree book. And it's a really, it's a focus on marketplace ministry. Why do we do that? Because people are walking this campus by the hundreds every single year. We're going to conferences, we're writing articles. And what, what, what we need to do is when people ask us questions, well, how did you do that? Instead of just coming up with your mind, okay, what did God, I can't remember, what exactly did we do back then? No, here, here it is. And here's the reason we do that, all right? Not because, not for, honestly, before God. Not because we can say, oh, look how great we are. Look at all the things we've done. More than that, it's to help people not to make the same mistakes that we have made. 
Because this is all about the kingdom of God. It's not about building your kingdom on the whatever acres we have here on 42. It's about building. We want to build, obviously, our church, but in the context of building the kingdom of God. And I say to people, if, I, if we can help you jump 10 years ahead from where you are right now, that's what we want to do. Why would you let a brother and sister in Christ, if they want to do marketplace ministry, for example, why would you want them to go through all the ups and downs struggles that you were through? Why would you want them to lay in bed and worry about the things that you worried about? No, you give them the information so they can jump 10 years ahead and avoid all that so they can build the kingdom of God. They can move on from there. They're going to learn their own lessons that maybe they can share with you. I'm writing a book right now. I'll be finishing in about a month. It's called Conversations with a Happy Heathen. Many of you remember that series that we were going through. Anne Marie is a good friend of mine, and she's the person that got me to come back to church the second time by giving those smile faces and saying, we're all glad you're here. I wasn't, I wasn't going to come back. I came back. 30 years later, I find out that she, she's an atheist. Obviously, I'm a pastor. We've been writing back and forth for about six years now on Facebook and debating. It's been a six-year debate. I put it in book form. Why did I do that? Because our high school students and our college students, this is why I did it. Okay, our high school students and our college students, I want them to be prepared when they go into college, when they go into high school to answer the questions that they're going to have to face. I want to pass on what God has taught me. Anne Marie has asked me incredible questions that have been very difficult. I try to answer those questions. I want to pass that knowledge on to our students so that when they're in the classroom and someone says, well, if there is a God, bing, 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 bang, or there isn't a God because bang, 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 they can say, well, wait a second. No, that's not because, and go through that. And their faith is still strengthened. They can overcome. We, you, all, need to, in some way, journal that, I don't know, verbally get it down on, on a tape, something, uh, videotape yourself, I don't care. But make sure you're passing on the legacy that God has given you, that God has shown you. We all need to do that. Every single one of us in this room needs to remember what God has done and pass it on to another generation. So as we draw closer to God, as God teaches us all of these things and we move and grow in our faith, it leads us to number six in this process. Okay, so let me go back. Habakkuk in the first chapter one is going, God, I don't understand this. This is crazy. Look how Israel's behaving. You're not responding the way you said you're supposed to respond. I don't understand. And then God says, well, here's what I'm going to do. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't like that either. Why why would you bring that nation over? I don't, they're terrible. They're our enemies and doesn't like that. So in chapter one, he's just crying out to God saying, question, 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 question. Chapter two, he stops talking and he starts to listen, right? God says to him, he starts speaking. Habakkuk begins to listen. Okay, he takes it all in. In chapter 3, in chapter 3, Habakkuk starts to worship. Okay, that's number 6. We need to worship. We need to respond to God in worship. When God speaks to us, we need to respond to God in worship. In Habakkuk 3, 2, it says this. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. When you hear from God, it should prompt you to worship. I'll give you, I'll share a story I probably shared with some of you already, but I think it fits perfectly into this sermon. When I was 17 years old, I worked at a kennel. I loved animals, and so that was a perfect place for me to kind of hang out and work. So I was working in this kennel, 17 years old, senior in high school, had just become a Christian. I mean, within probably months, if that, months, maybe even weeks, but months. 
started going to church, gave my life to Christ. And so I'm working at this kennel. And in the kennel, it's a kennel and a grooming, grooming place. And the boss says, the woman who owned the place said, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to leave you in charge about four hours. Here's what I want you to do. Just, you know, empty, clean out the goat pen, hose out the dogs, you know, my old, my old routine. And then she said, if the phone rings, there's a book in here. And if it's a grooming book, if it's a booking for grooming, she said, just go in there, see an open spot, write down the dog's name, they tell you, and that's all you need to do. I thought, well, that's not rocket science. I can handle that. I started cleaning out the goats. The, the phone rings. I go into the office and and the. The man on the other end of the line says, I have this dog name, I don't know, a Fluffy or whatever, and uh, I need to go groom Fluffy. So I thought, mm, okay, 2 o'clock, 2 to 3, 30, that's good. I wrote his name down. Went back out and started doing the goats again. My boss gets home. My boss gets back to the office or back to the kennel. She comes out. She's livid. What have you done? I'm like, just cleaning out the goats. You booked this dog. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, you told me. Go in there. She goes, you understand what you've done? She said, this is the largest Newfoundland in North America. It takes four or five hours to groom this dog. How am I? And it's a show dog. And I can't tell these people that I can't groom their dog. And blah, blah. She was ready to fire me. I, I leave you in charge for four hours and you mess the whole thing up. And I'm thinking, I'm visual. The, the dog's name is Fluffy. You know what I'm saying? Fluffy. I'm not thinking of the horse. You know, I'm thinking four-hour horse. I'm thinking a two-an hour Fluffy job. You know what I'm saying? How do I know? It's a great. It's the largest Newfoundland in North America. She didn't care. She was ticked, and I was getting fired. So I'm out there still cleaning out the thing, thinking, where am I going to go next? I really like this job, and I I pray one of these profound prayers that I still do today. It it was just uh, write this down, okay? God, do something. I said, <laughs> I don't, you know, I was like a baby Christian. I was like, uh, I didn't know any big Christian words. And so I was stuck in a jam and I said, God, do something. You know, I got to help me out here. Basically what I said, and I'm out there, you know, hosing the dogs or whatever. And all of a sudden she comes out. No exaggeration. Five to ten minutes later. Couldn't be more than ten minutes. I'm praying this prayer. And she comes out and she said, you've you got to be the luckiest person in the world. You wouldn't believe what just happened. And I'm like, what? She goes, the man just called back up and he canceled whatever was Fluffy's appointment. Because he had a show to go to and they didn't have the time and blah, blah, blah. She goes, boy, you really dodged a bullet and everything. And she, she walked away. She was so happy. You know what I did? I'm still getting goosebumps to this day when I did when she walked away I went just like this that's what I did because it was literally like me asking can you get me a drink of water my throat's kind of sore right now can you meet and you walk out and get me some water and bring it back in it's exactly what it was like I asked do something and five minutes later ten minutes later he did something it was amazing it was incredible but here's the point okay I prayed, I, I spoke, and then I stopped, and I was just doing whatever, and I was waiting for God to do something. I didn't know what he was going to do, and then God responded, and God responded by fixing the whole situation, and my next response was Habakkuk, what Habakkuk did. He worshipped God. He worshiped God. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. See, I believe that God often does that when you're young in your faith. I really do, and here's why. Because in the future, it's not going to be so easy. It's not going to be so cut and dry. I'm going to ask for a glass of water. I'm not going to get that glass of water in five minutes or ten minutes. I'm going to say, you know, God, do something in a situation. It's not going to take. He's not going to do it that quickly. And I believe God does it early in your face so that you can remember. You can remember. 
what he did. So when it doesn't happen so quickly, you're okay. You realize, no, God is with me. I remember that time. And, and so, and, but here's the thing. When that happens to you, when you don't get an answer right away, it frustrates people. You're get, you get frustrated. You say, well, Pastor Jeff asked, and he was like, boom, it was like magic, you know? Yeah, that time. So let me just share a couple reasons why God doesn't always answer our prayers right away. It may be, it may be that you're not ready. That's number one. It may be that you're not ready. I've had times in my life where I ask God to do something or ask God to reveal something or ask God to give me something. And if he would have given it to me at that time, it would have been a terrible mistake. A terrible mistake. I could give you, I could give you story after story after story where I was saying to God, I don't understand, Lord. You call, you give me a vision. I saw it in my head. I breathed it out. I wrote it down. And now I'm, now I'm asking for you to come through in this area. We're not going to be able to go any further. And it's like, I'm like, what is, what is wrong here? You're the one who called us. You're the one. You laid it off. I don't understand. If he would have given me what I wanted at that time, it would have destroyed everything. We were not ready. I was not ready. Maybe, second, maybe, that he's not ready to reveal it to you. Like, the, I, I watched the, the video, the funny video. It's basically, you know, he starts laughing. Here are, your, here are my plans. Here are my plans. He goes, your plans. He starts laughing. Sometimes God's not ready to reveal it to us. It's not in his timing to reveal it to us. Sometimes God just wants you to learn to trust him. He just wants you to learn to trust him. He's not going to say yes right away. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to take his time. And it may, sometimes it may take years before he answers that question, which is another reason we need to write this stuff down sometimes because he answers you and you don't worship him because you forgot you even asked the question. But he's answering you a year later or two years later. And you're like, oh, this is cool. But you, ne- you, don't, you don't remember that you actually specifically asked him to do that in your life. It may mean that both your choices are fine, are good. For example, you're in college. You're not in college yet. But you're a junior you're, or a senior. You're thinking, of where should I go to college? Uh, you know, you send out all these applications, these colleges. And they, two or three colleges say, you're so fantastic, because you are, that we want you here. And so you're praying, oh God, should I go to, should I go to Ohio State or should I go to Miami or Michigan? No, I shouldn't say Michigan because, you know, <laughs> no one should go to Michigan. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know it's not of the Lord if you, if you start hearing Michigan. You know, it's like, uh, who's that? Is that the, that the devil speaking to me? I don't know. No, I'm kidding. If you went to Michigan, get out of the church. No, if you went to... <laughs> <laughs> no, so it, it, so you may want to go to Ohio State or you may want to go to Miami University and you're thinking, oh, Lord, show me. The, and God's saying, Miami University is wonderful. Ohio State's wonderful. Pick one. Just make sure when you get there, you adhere to this and you, you, you're doing what I called you to do and you're accomplishing the things that I want you to accomplish in college and you're living your life in such a way. He doesn't care if you go to Ohio State or, or Miami University. Both are fine. Ah, should I take this job or should I take that job? I can't hear you, Lord, because the Lord's like, pick one. I'm like, that job is a great job. As long as you're a minister in the marketplace, wherever you are in that job, I want you to be a minister in that place. You want to be a minister in that place? That's fine, too. As long as you're a minister in those two places, choose which one you want to go to. Let me tell you the last one, the final one, as we close here. You may not be able to hear from God because you don't know God. Because you don't know him. You don't have a personal relationship with God. You don't have that saving faith. You, you kind of believe in a God out there somewhere, but you don't have that connectedness and that personal relationship, that saving faith. 
Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't care what you want to call it, born again or saved or a personal relationship with Christ. You don't have it. And so you can't hear from God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I speak and they hear me. They listen to my voice. They can understand me. When it comes to saving faith, it consists of three things, okay, theologically. Knowledge, belief, and obedience. Those are the three things, knowledge, belief, and obedience. Let me give you an example. Um, demons, okay? Do demons believe, do demons have knowledge of God? Yes, they do. More than you do. Way more than you'll ever, well, not ever have, because when you get to heaven. But demons have more knowledge of God than you do, okay? Do they believe in God? Oh, yeah. They've seen him. They've experienced him. They have knowledge and belief. What do they lack? Obedience. Okay, obedience in James chapter two and verse 19, it says, you believe there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Why do they shudder? They don't have a personal relationship. They don't have a saving faith. They have knowledge. They have belief. They don't have obedience. And what I'm saying this morning is that maybe the reason you can't hear God is that you don't have that personal relationship with the living God. See, those three principles work together. They work together to draw us into an intimate relationship with God. And so what we need to do is make sure that we're saying, God, yes, I have knowledge of you. I believe in you. But Lord, I want you. It's not just my savior, but my Lord. I want you to be the Lord of my life. In John 15, 15, Jesus takes it one step further. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Friends. You hear, you know your friend because you, that you, you know their voice. You have the intimate relationship with them. When their friend calls up, you know their voice right away because you have that, that deep abiding relationship with that friend. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close here. And I want to pray, and after I, I, I'm going to say a simple prayer, but after I pray, I'm going to pray another prayer. And if it's your desire to fully have a deep relationship with God, to fully know Him, to know Him, knowledge, belief, obedience, to have a saving relationship with God, to be a part of God's very family, I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. So I'm going to pray first. And then I'll let you know when I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray it in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. So, Father, I thank you for loving us so much that you desire to listen to us and talk to us. Not just listen to us, but have a dialogue with us. That you love us that much. That you want to know us that much. That you want to have that intimate relationship with us. Lord, there's people here this morning that have never felt the excitement and the joy and the enthusiasm of having a, having a conversation with you in their hearts. And there are those, Lord, in this place even today who only know you from a distance. They may have asked you to come into their hearts, but they've never really reached out and, and broken beyond just the, the surface. But God, you want a deep, deep relationship, an intimate relationship with us. May today be the turning point in our lives, all of our lives, Lord God. And for some of you, if you don't truly know Christ, you're saying, I can't hear him speak to me. And it may be, and you're not really sure, you're not sure where you stand with Christ. Maybe the reason you can't hear him speak is you don't have that relationship with him. I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. 
if it's your desire. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just, just say it in your mind after me. Dear God, I'm amazed that you would want me as a friend. That you would call me friend. God, I want to learn what it means to have a conversation with you. And so, Lord, I, like David, I confess my sin. I realize that it has separated me from you, and I, I ask for your grace. Help me, Lord God, to put this process that we've been talking about the last couple weeks. Help me to put it in place in my life so that I can hear you speak to me. Thank you for loving me enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me. Jesus, I want to know you more and more every day. Jesus, I want you to lead me. I want to be obedient to you. I want you to lead me in every area of my life, in school, at work, at home. It doesn't matter. In my thought life, in my relationships, I want you to lead me in every area of my life. I invite you into my heart to be the Lord and director of my life. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit. I ask that you would show me my purpose. Adopt me into your family, I pray in Jesus' name. Before you raise your heads, if there's anyone here who prayed that prayer for the very first time, for the first time, or you weren't really sure where you stood spiritually, if you prayed that prayer with me, just put your hand up and then put it right back down. Just raise your hand up and put it right back down. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here together and to see transformation in people's lives. And Lord God, now we want to celebrate that. If you would all please, if you would just stand up, if you would stand up, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to live out what we, what we talked about last week again, all right? We talked this morning about speaking to God, okay? And then having God speak to us. And once God speaks to us and answers our prayers, we want to celebrate. We had people raise their hands this morning in first service and second service who've given their lives to Christ. We said in the beginning that we're anticipating God to do something miraculous in this service. Jen said it, I said it. God has done some, something miraculous in this service in people's hearts and they've given their lives to Christ. So I want you to come forward. Come on up, everybody, everybody. We're just going to close out this last song together as a congregation. We're going to praise God. We're going to worship Him as we close out. Guess what Habakkuk did? He, he talked to God, he heard from God, and he worshiped God. Let's worship God and close out this morning.